You're watching live coverage of the NASA SpaceX Crew-6 mission as they return to Earth. Dragon Endeavor departed the International Space Station at 4.05 a.m. Pacific time earlier this morning. On board Crew-6 are NASA's Stephen Bowen and Woody Hoberg, United Arab Emirates astronaut Sultan Al-Nayadi, and Roscosmos cosmonaut Andrei Fedyaev. Currently, they're on their way to the targeted splashdown site off the coast of Jacksonville, Florida. My name is Kate Tice, Senior Quality Systems Engineering Manager here at SpaceX. Joining me today from NASA Communications is Gary Jordan. Hey, great to be here, Kate. This is an awesome day for Splashdown. So upon departing the station, Dragon underwent a sequence of departure burns. The crew had a rest period and has since kicked off preparations for re-entry, including getting in their launch and re-entry suits and successfully performing a leak check. The next phase of the mission is when things, these things really ramp up. Dragon has a series of steps to complete before returning Crew-6 home. First, Dragon will maneuver to the correct attitude and jettison its trunk, which is the cylindrical, unpressurized part of the spacecraft. The trunk is currently connected to the aft or the bottom section of the Dragon capsule where the heat shield is located. So in order to expose the heat shield and get the vehicle ready for atmospheric entry, we'll jettison that trunk. And from there, the spacecraft will use its forward thrusters to perform a deorbit burn, which will put Dragon on a trajectory to return to Earth. This burn will last 16 minutes once it starts. The deorbit burn uses Draco thrusters on Dragon, primarily the four located on the forward bulkhead, and is executed at the apogee or the highest point of Dragon's current orbit around the Earth. This will alter Dragon's path to ultimately uh, line it up to re-enter Earth's atmosphere. As you can see from that graphic there on your screen, um, it should be pretty visible, especially if you are in Florida. So head outside and take a look up. Um, it's an incredible sight, especially for these nighttime splashdowns. But before we go any further, let's take a minute to meet our crew. That's right. On board, starting with our captain, is Steve Bowen, who hails from Cohasset, Massachusetts, and is married with three children. He holds the title of the first U.S. Navy submarine officer to be selected as a mission specialist by NASA. Bowen is also a veteran of three previous NASA space flights, including space shuttle flights on STS-126, 132, and 133. During those missions, he and his crew expanded the living quarters on the International Space Station, delivered an integrated cargo carrier and a Russian mini-research module. With this mission, he now has logged 227 days in space, including 65 hours and 57 minutes in 10 spacewalks. Today, he is the commander of Crew-6. Sitting next to... Dragon SpaceX, preemptively, we are 11 minutes out from deorbit sequence start and expect to be LOS. Uh, during CLOSSEP prep. All right, those comms from SpaceX Core to Dragon Endeavor, just letting the crew know that we will have a loss of signal uh, while we are performing the claw separation, which we mentioned that earlier is one of the steps for deorbit, but that deorbit burn um, coming up soon. Now, getting back to the crew on board, sitting next to Stephen is pilot Warren Woody Hoberg. The 37-year-old is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He studied aeronautics and astronautics from MIT before getting a doctorate in electrical engineering and computer science from University of California, Berkeley. During grad school, Hoberg worked as an EMT with the Yosemite Search and Rescue. Crew-6 has been Hoberg's first flight since NASA selected him to be an astronaut in 2017. He is also a commercial pilot with instrument, single engine, and multi-engine ratings. As pilot for Crew-6, he is responsible for spacecraft systems and performance. 
Aboard the station, he served as a um, he served as an Expedition 68 and 69 flight engineer and is coming home with 186 days in space and 11 hours, 38 minutes of time outside the hatch on two spacewalks. In the role of mission specialist is astronaut Sultan Al-Niadi. He was chosen by the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Center of the United Arab Emirates to be a part of Expedition 68 and 69. The father of five spent most of his life in Al Ain and Abu Dhabi, but in 2020 traded that in for astronaut training in Houston at NASA's Johnson Space Center. This has been his first trip to space, so he also now has 186 days in orbit. Additionally, he went on one spacewalk, totaling seven hours and one minute. It was also the first trip to space for the second mission specialist, Roscosmos cosmonaut Andrei Fedyaev. Andrei was selected as a cosmonaut back in 2012. He will monitor the spacecraft during the dynamic reentry phase of flight. While on board station, he served as a flight engineer for Expeditions 68 and 69 and returns today also with 106 80 days in space. Now to prepare for upcoming events, the Dragon spacecraft is currently doing a couple of things autonomously. It's isolating the thermal control system fluid loops from the radiator. This system is what will help keep the internal temperature of Dragon uh, very temperate for Stephen, Woody, Sultan, and Andre during uh, the reentry phase. Dragon is also initiating separation of the claw mechanism, which will terminate data, power, and fluid connections between the capsule and the trunk. And that trunk separation, the Dragon has to orient itself such that it positions the trunk so that it doesn't have any risk of recontact with the spacecraft. Of course, we want that to also deorbit in the Earth's atmosphere, limit the orbital debris, so that will, uh, the trunk itself will burn up in the Earth's atmosphere. It allows Dragon uh, and, and exposes what are the picotiles. These are the, um, these are, this is really the heat shield on Dragon. And so after that uh, trunk separation, Dragon will reorient itself with the heat shields pointed right in the right direction uh, to allow Dragon to go through the entry interface. We'll see a couple of things in rapid succession at that point. Uh, really, at the time of uh, the deorbit burn, um, that's that 16-minute burn we were discussing before, and that is a retrograde firing, primarily of those forward bulkhead thrusters that slow the spacecraft down um, significantly, not as quite as significantly as uh, entry, uh, but enough to really make contact with some of the upper limits of the atmosphere and start uh, with the drag and plasma buildup that gets the spacecraft from 17,000 miles an hour to about 350 uh, after it passes through the atmosphere. And that's uh, about a seven-minute period. We'll have a loss of signal at that time. It's a, it's a blackout period, which we track. The plasma buildup just uh, allows very limited comms to go through. So we'll be really just waiting for the back end of that seven-minute uh, period until we start getting communications and data from the spacecraft. Yeah, that heat shield will be doing so much work during that reentry phase. The external temperatures of Dragon can reach up to 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and that's part of the reason why it will be so visible streaking across um, the Florida sky uh, in uh, a little while. Getting some uh, some views from inside the cabin now. This is fantastic. So we get these views when we pass over some of the ground stations here on Earth that provide the video straight from the Dragon capsule. Uh, so on the far left there is Andrei Fedyaev, and in the seat next to him, to his right is the commander, Steve Bowen. Uh, to his right is the pilot, Woody Hoberg. And then on the far side of the capsule from this view that you're seeing is uh, 
Emirati astronaut Sultan Al Niyadi. You can see they're in their launch and re-entry suits, uh, and they have uh, they uh, entered that even before our coverage started and performed a successful leak check. So really, they're just uh, waiting for these uh, next series of events, including the claw separation, trunk separation, and the deorbit burn. Yeah, you can just see. Um, I love this view because you can notice the previous missions that this dragon supported in the form of the mission patch stickers that are located there just over uh, Andrei Fedyaev's shoulder, um, kind of like right above Woody's head from, from this particular view. Uh, this particular capsule is the Demo-2 capsule, the Crew-2 capsule, and the Axiom-1 capsule. So um, this capsule has been through this three times before. This is its first, fourth um, space flight. And I love that we are able to um, document those previous missions inside the capsule as a little nod to history. Yeah, this will be the fourth splashdown of Dragon Endeavor, of course, being the capsule that carried humans for the first time to orbit uh, in a SpaceX uh, Dragon vehicle with uh, Bob and Doug. We've got about five more minutes remaining in this preparation phase for that claw separation command. As you can see, the crew continue to monitor progress using the touchscreen um, above their head, as well as the tablets that they have strapped to their legs. It seems as though everyone is super calm and really just hanging out really a nod to the Dragon vehicle itself. It, uh, this, all of these sequences are fully autonomous. Of course, it's the role of the commander and pilot to really uh, monitor the sequence and the dynamic phases of launch and the re-entry phases, which are really some of the most dynamic that the uh, spacecraft will experience throughout the duration of the six-month expedition. Uh, but he, they also have the help of the mission specialists. Part of their role is to look over the shoulder of the commander and pilot and look at the screens that are right in front of them, those displays, providing telemetry uh, to uh, just be an extra set of eyes and uh, ch check on some of the things, though, because there's a lot of data coming in, just to relay them to the commander and pilot. Everybody is watching those screens very intently. For sure. They also go through extensive training. So even though this is the first time that they have performed this splashdown in real time uh, for this particular crew. They have worked with our Dragon trainers here at SpaceX headquarters uh, for months in preparation for launching this mission. And so while this is the first time they're doing it for real, they have practiced this with simulations uh, many times before lifting off. Sort of towards where their feet are on the far side of this particular view at the center is that side hatch. Last time we saw the side hatch open on Dragon Endeavor was right before uh, Crew-6 launched to the International Space Station. It was some of the closeout teams in the white room at Pad 39A uh, that got the crew situated for launch, making sure that they were ready to go. And that side hatch has remained closed through the duration of this mission. It will be open once again uh, once the Dragon capsule and the crew are recovered by the recovery vessel named Megan. Uh, once the recovery teams outfit the Dragon capsule and bring it onto the dragon nest. It'll be the side hatch that they'll open to uh, get the crew out. Once again, we're standing by for claw separation. 
that is the uh, first physical change that the dragon will undergo in preparation for atmospheric reentry. That claw separation is what allows for the trunk, the cylindrical, unpressurized section of the spacecraft, to separate and thereby revealing the heat shield, which is located at the bottom of um, the service section or the pressurized section of the Dragon spacecraft. So collectively with the trunk and the, uh, the pressurized section, the service section there, um, that trunk will separate, reveal the heat shield, and that heat shield is what will be pointing first, if you will, uh, toward planet Earth as the capsule makes its atmospheric reentry. So again, we're targeting a splashdown off the coast of Florida. The prime landing target for today is off the coast of Jacksonville, Florida on the Atlantic coast. That splashdown time is 9.17 p.m. Pacific time, 12.17 a.m. September 4th Eastern time. So just a little more than an hour from now. To give you an idea of how much ground they're going to cover, you can see on their map in the center of their screen, uh, they are very close to the orbit of the International Space Station in the Dragon. They're over the Indian Ocean right now, just west off of Singapore on a southeastern track heading towards the western coast of Australia. So just in the matter of an hour, they'll cover really the distance around the world, halfway. Yeah, when the, uh, so the, if you look at the track of Dragon and the International Space Station, how it orbits the Earth around a flat map, it kind of looks like a sine wave. So now they're on a southeastern track uh, that will swing really south of uh, Australia and then come up the Pacific. So you can see once we get into the re-entry phases, it will cross over southern Mexico and the Yucatan Peninsula. And perhaps if, you, if you're outside at just the right moment, just uh, a couple minutes prior to that landing site, 12, 17 a.m., uh, so if you're still up at midnight watching our coverage and you're in central and northern Florida, be sure to head out, see if you can see, uh, depending on the weather there, see if you can see uh, the uh, plasma trail as Crew 6 uh, re-enters the Earth's atmosphere. Yeah, that's definitely one of the benefits to a nighttime splashdown. Um, you can still see it during the day, but it is certainly much more striking um, whenever it's, you know, streaking through the night sky. Uh, we've actually had a few nighttime splashdowns prior to this one. Uh, so Crew 6 will definitely be a nighttime splashdown, but we also had successful splashdowns uh, at nighttime for Crew 5, Crew 3, Crew 2, and Dragon, Crew 1. SpaceX, we're back with you. Deorbit sequence start. SpaceX Dragon. So that deorbit sequence starts with, with what's called claw sep prep, claw separation preparation. So once that uh, claw begins to separate, it's about 45 seconds for that sequence to initiate, and then the trunk separates about 45 seconds after that uh, claw separation. So it's relatively quick. So we're, again, we're still in claw sep prep. Once again, the crew will continue to monitor progress of events using the tablets and touchscreens that they have available to them. The touchscreen 
um, directly in front of pilot Woody Hoberg and Commander Steve Bowen also allows them to monitor the state of the Dragon flight computer as well as uh, be able to keep tabs on any thruster burns uh, that occur. Live view there of Mission Control here at SpaceX headquarters in Hawthorne, California. And for those that might be wondering, that yes is a lava lamp in the center <laughs> of Mission row. Control. <laughs> Yeah, lots of activity here. Again, to, as a reminder, we are in the deorbit sequence, which begins with the claw separation. This uh, demates the umbilical to the trunk, which has solar panels and have been collecting some of the energy from the sun and providing it to the batteries on board. Once that trunk is separated or lies on the batteries inside, and there's plenty of margin um, of that power to provide power for the crew as they await for the recovery teams. But after uh, trunk Right, and the pyros fired for the claw separation. Claw separation is complete. We're now preparing for trunk separation. Again, it's just a matter of seconds before we confirm that the trunk is separated. Once again, since that claw is now separated, we're able to separate the trunk. That claw is what is where the umbilicals for power and telemetry were connecting between the dragon capsule and the trunk. The pyros fire fired for that trunk separation. Dragon SpaceX nominal trunk jettison. Copy nominal trunk jettison. All right, so yeah, we have the, a good trunk separation that starts about a five-minute clock until we begin that deorbit burn. So that means telemetry is looking good. The nitrox system is primed for cabin and suit cooling, and the heat shield is now exposed and ready for atmospheric reentry. The trunk served its purpose by gathering energy from the sun through the solar rays and converting that into battery power. Since we separated the trunk, we can't generate any more new power, but we don't need to since we're coming home, and Dragon has enough battery power stored already. Up next, uh, we have the final steps that Dragon will perform prior to reentry: the slew or maneuver to deorbit burn attitude and the deorbit burn itself. This is the last time that those that the forward Dracos, which are the four thrusters located on top of the spacecraft uh, under the nose cone, they will ignite. The deorbit burn will place Dragon on a precise trajectory to the splashdown zone off the coast of Florida, and will last about 16 minutes once it starts, and it looks like we're just under three and a half minutes away from that Dior burn initiation. We did confirm that that slewing has started. So again, Dragon positions itself sort of off to the side to jettison the trunk so it doesn't any have risk of recontact with the spacecraft and successfully burns up in the atmosphere. So it slews or reorients itself to make sure that those forward bulkhead Dracos are pointed in the right direction. We want a retrograde firing to really slow us down. So uh, retrograde meaning the, the, the 
Draco thrusters fire in the direction that the dr dragon is traveling in. So the nose is sort of pointed forward, if you were to think of it as traveling along that axis. It's almost like the brakes, like when you're driving a car. Essentially. And this is a long burn. This is a 16-minute burn. So once it starts, we're going to stand by and just make sure and, and follow along and just make sure that that has a good performance. Uh, that really sets them up to and, and, and de decreases their velocity just enough so it loses some altitude and starts to make con contact with the atmosphere. Um, that slowing down really all that does is just reduce the altitude. So it doesn't really it doesn't really slow it down too much. We're still hanging around 17,000 miles an hour, but it's really the atmosphere that does the the bulk of the braking. It's the friction against the atmosphere and that plasma buildup. We go from 17,000 miles an hour to 350 through that process in just a matter of minutes. minutes. So it really does make sense that. This deorbit burn, the the breaking, um, the slowing down of the Dragon capsule in preparation for all of that, it makes sense that it's 16 minutes long. Uh, we're now about a minute and a half away from uh, the initiation of that deorbit burn. Right, again, we are in the deorbit sequence, which begins with that claw separation and trunk separation, both of which were successful. So now we're in what's called the deorbit prep. Uh, the spacecraft has slewed with the forward Dracos pointed in the right direction, and we're priming those uh, Draco thrusters ready to uh, fire for that 16-minute burn. Once again, this deorbit burn will place Dragon on a precise trajectory to return to the splashdown site just off the Atlantic coast of Florida near Jacksonville. And we're less than a minute away from deorbit burn. Once again, this is the last time that those forward Dracos will be utilized. After this burn is complete, we'll, we will be able to close the nose cone, which will then basically hide or cover up uh, that area, including the forward hatch, which of course is the hatch that the uh, team used to ingress and egress from the International Space Station. We will be using the side hatch, which is actually outlined by that black liner kind of near the feet of the crew here in this view. That side hatch is what will be utilized for crew uh, egress or exit from the capsule in just under an hour from now. Once again, we're targeting 9.17 p.m. Pacific, 12.17 a.m. Eastern time for splashdown. And we are getting lucky with some of these internal cabin views as we prepare for that deorbit burn start. This will be the last time that the crew is in an orbital daytime. They're currently over the South Indian Ocean, just west off the coast of Australia. And again, their trajectory takes them south uh, around Australia and then on a northeastern trajectory over the Pacific Ocean. The deorbit. Uh, the entry interface, the time that it actually has that plasma buildup as it's uh, slowing down significantly through the atmosphere. Uh, that will happen, and, and you may be able to see it depending on where you are, depending on the weather and cloud coverage, but that track brings it over the southern southern Mexico and the Yucatan Peninsula. We do have deorbit burn start. You can see it on their displays, actually. They're, um, you can see those thruster firings on the left display there. So again, that's a 16-minute burn.
So a quick recap, within the last 10 minutes, Dragon jettisoned its trunk and initiated the deorbit burn. For those operations, NASA and SpaceX closely coordinate with the United States Coast Guard to establish a safety zone to ensure public safety and for the safety of those involved in the recovery operations as well as the crew on board the returning spacecraft. Multiple notices are issued to the Mariners in advance and during recovery operations, and Coast Guard patrol boats are deployed to discourage boaters from entering the splashdown zones. We want to stress to the public the need to respect this safety zone. Recovering a spacecraft from the water is a hazardous operation, and any other boats interfering increases the risk to the astronauts in the capsule, the teams working to recover them from the water, and the safety of those that come too close. For the safety of the crew and your safety, we recommend you sit back and watch as we'll be bringing you the best possible views of our astronauts' homecoming. The only exception to that, of course, is if you live in central Florida, and you want to look outside through the window or head out into your front or backyard, you should definitely be able to witness dragon capsules streaking across the night sky. It'll be super bright. Absolutely. Now, like I mentioned earlier, this deorbit burn is the last time that those four forward Draco thrusters will fire. Dragon Endeavor, Endeavor has not yet entered the Earth's atmosphere. This deorbit burn is what will line the vehicle up and put it on that final trajectory to the landing site, which, as we just said, is off the coast of Florida. Uh, near Jacksonville. Right now, as you can see on your screen, Stephen, Woody, Sultan, and Andre uh, continue to use their screens to keep tabs on the burn duration, dra uh, the Draco thruster firings, and trajectory details like the entry angle, capsule perigee, uh, and how much distance remaining until deorbit burn termination. Right now, Dragon is flying itself, so all the crew has to do is stay strapped in their seats and keep tabs on things. Great view there um, of being able to see exactly what the crew can see with respect to those uh, Draco thrusters firing. Now with Stephen, Woody, Sultan, and Andre ready to deorbit and splash down back on planet Earth, they'll be heading to one of seven targeted sites supported by SpaceX and NASA. All of these sites are located off the coast of Florida, either in the Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic Ocean. Spreading the supported sites across multiple locations helps us maximize the return opportunities for this mission and future crews, lowering the chance that we'll have to wave off due to bad weather. Yesterday, NASA and SpaceX jointly selected the primary splashdown location of Jacksonville, Florida. The selection process works with a lot of different variables, including the space station's orbital trajectory, what landing sites are available and have favorable weather, how much free flight capability Dragon has for the trip home, and the sleep schedule for the returning crew members. We'll start with calculating daily return options based off of the space station's current orbit and Dragon's capabilities to maneuver and line up for reentry. Uh, the time from undock to landing at the primary site can vary from less than six hours to more than 39. Getting home the quickest comes with some obvious benefits, but we always want to make sure that the crew um, are properly rested for dynamic operations, uh, preventing us from scheduling 20-plus hour days for, uh, for them. Trajectory and ballistics experts provide the daily opportunities that would line up Dragon with the seven landing zones and split them into what we call ascending and descending opportunities. Dragon uses its Draco thrusters after leaving the station to execute a series of altitude lowering maneuvers and to line up with the selected primary site. It can also change to different alternate sites while in free flight if sudden weather moves in 
that we need to avoid. And weather is something we're constantly looking at, making the final call to proceed about two and a half hours before the crew undocks. For the Crew 6 return, we looked at a number of weather items. Some of the obvious ones are no rain or chance of lightning in the recovery zone, both for the safety of the crew inside the capsule and the recovery teams in the water. We're also looking for wind speeds less than 15 feet per second or about 10 miles an hour and relatively calm seas so we can safely execute recovery operations, which includes landing a helicopter on the recovery ship to fly Steve, Woody, Sultan, and Andre back to Florida. Once Dragon began flying free today, we had a number of additional checkpoints to either proceed towards the primary landing site, head to an alternate, or select a new zone based on real-time weather data. These checks happened all the way up until we're in the final hours before the deorbit burn, which is underway now, and is the last burn to uh, the trip home and commits Dragon and the capsule and the crew to re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. So at this point in time, we are well within the deorbit burn. There's about 10 minutes remaining in this burn. Um, as we mentioned before, uh, it started off as a 16-minute burn, so six minutes in, 10 minutes to go. This is the last time that those four forward Draco engines located at the top of the Dragon spacecraft will be utilized. This deorbit burn acts as a braking maneuver or slowing down for the capsule in preparation for that um, for alignment for atmospheric reentry and splashdown. Um, we are or before the deorbit burn, we were going about 17,500 miles per hour. So uh, we're helping to slow the vehicle down and align it. But really, it's the atmosphere and that heat shield located at the bottom of the Dragon capsule that will be doing most of that slowing down. Um, we basically go from that orbital velocity of about 17,000 miles per hour down to about 350 miles per hour when the drogue parachutes will deploy. So there's significant slowing down um, in, in that phase of, of reentry. And this is uh, really just lining the capsule up for that precise uh, location, uh, excuse me, that precise landing at the designated location, which today is off the coast of Jacksonville, Florida. And of course, the parachutes really do a lot of the work from that 350 miles an hour uh, down to about the time of splashdown. Uh, the capsule is traveling an approximate 15 miles an hour. It splashes down uh, in the uh, Atlantic coast. And that's done through a series of parachutes. You mentioned the drogues. The drogues provide some initial deceleration as well as stabilization of the vehicle once it passes through the atmosphere. Uh, and then those are only deployed for just a few minutes before they're uh, jettisoned and the four main parachutes uh, are deployed and inflated to really slow the vehicle down to the landing site and get us down to that 15 miles an hour. The crew continues to look pretty calm, collected and comfortable as they continue to monitor this deorbit burn. We've got just over seven minutes remaining in this deorbit burn. Once again, the crew has trained and prepared for um, all phases of flight, including this deorbit and splashdown phase of the mission. So uh, I often like to think that, you know, during moments like this, when there's something dynamic going on and we just see the crew 
chilling. <laughs> uh, it really, it's a really uh, such a testament to that preparation, that training um, that they do both with the NASA teams and the SpaceX teams prior to uh, even arriving at the launch pad. And they try to maximize the crew's comfort through the duration of Dragon's flight. Um, when we covered undocking just uh, what seems like just a couple of hours <laughs> ago at this point, um, they had these launch and entry suits, and that was because they, they put them on during some of the more dynamic phases, and that includes the actual contact and separation from the International Space Station. But very shortly after they exited the keep-out sphere, which is only 200 meters away, they got the call that they could remove those suits. And they had the suits off for really the, the most of the duration of the flight. They have them back on, but you can see their visors are up. And even though this is a very dynamic phase, and this is a 16-minute burn and a very important milestone of the Dragon's return uh, to Earth, the visors will come down and the suits will provide that extra layer of protection through atmospheric reentry. That is a very dynamic phase. Of course, there's the plasma buildup on the outside of the station and a blackout period. There's a lot of stress on the vehicle, so that just provides an extra layer of protection for the crew. Yeah, you mentioned maximizing crew comfort, um, and we do that not just through um, operational decisions like when you can take off or doff the suit, but also uh, the design of the suit itself, um, as well as the seats. So each uh, crew member has a bespoke spacesuit. They um, are basically the suits are especially uh, are specially fitted for each crew member to make sure that um, it is as comfortable as possible while maintaining the extraordinary high levels of safety required. Um, but the seats as well also have um, length and uh, sizing customizations in uh, you know, small, medium, large, basically, for the armrest, the bucket, the seat itself, um, and as well as the footrest. So, yeah, we definitely try to maximize um, the crew comfort in as many ways as we possibly can. And once again, we are in the deorbit burn. This is the burn that lines the crew up um, for that precise landing off the coast of Jacksonville, Florida. And we're just under five minutes remaining in this burn. Yeah, and the crew is, is really uh, just watching the vehicle perform on its own at this point. They're not really executing any commands. Uh, you can see they're looking at some of the data that are coming in on their displays. On the far right display, you can see the, all of those thruster firings. Those are those four forward bulkhead Dracos, which at their position would really be right in their eye line. It would be kind of straight up. Uh, and it's a retrograde firing again. It's really slowing the spacecraft down to decrease its altitude to meet up with the uh, upper limits of the atmosphere. We're 12 minutes into the burn, have about four minutes left. As we mentioned before, after this deorbit burn is uh, complete, we will be able to close the nose cone, which is the um, basically the the pointy structure at the top of the capsule that has been uh, open to allow the uh, to allow for access to that forward hatch as well as usage of the forward Draco thrusters. So um, we'll be able to close that, and uh, that will basically make the you know put the capsule back into its aerodynamic uh, shape. 
And after we close that nose cone, um, we will begin atmospheric reentry. Uh, we will have about a six or seven minute period of um, anticipated loss of signal or LOS, as we'll hear it referred to uh, in comms between ground and crew. And there is some margin built into the operations. This, again, uh, the deorbit burn is executed at the apogee of their trajectory and allows them to decrease that attitude. And it's a 16-minute burn, so that will take us to uh, about um, 840 Pacific, so just a couple of minutes left. They have about 25 minutes until they start experiencing some drag on the atmosphere, and that allows the, the Dragon spacecraft to do a couple of things. It allows them to close the nose cone, as you mentioned, and also slew the Dragon once again and get into the entry interface with the Pika tiles and the, uh, and the heat shields pointed in the right direction to take uh, the loads of uh, the friction of the atmosphere. Exactly. So if you want to think about Dragon's orientation, at the moment, the uh, the forward end, or if if you think of how Dragon is oriented when it's on the launch pad, it's the top end right. of the Dragon spacecraft is basically pointing forward um, along their their trajectory. So those thrusters are performing uh, a retrograde burn, which is slowing the vehicle down. So we will want to, after this burn is complete, uh, basically rotate the capsule or slew it in order to make sure that that heat shield is then the end, uh, the bottom end is what is actually pointing um, toward, uh, you know, in the direction of their trajectory so that uh, that heat shield is able to do its job, which is really utilize that friction that will um, be made while, uh, you know, coursing through the, uh, the Earth's atmosphere and slow that vehicle down significantly. Once again, uh, we're going from an orbital velocity of about 17,500 miles per hour, um, and that uh, atmospheric reentry, that heat shield action will take us down to about 350 miles per hour. So we're about uh, just over one minute remaining in the deorbit burn. This is the burn that essentially commits the crew to that precise landing zone just off the coast of Jacksonville, Florida. Once again, we are targeting a splashdown time of 9.17 p.m. Pacific, 12.17 a.m. Eastern. And again, this is Mission Control here in Hawthorne. The team's here monitoring Dragon's progress and the progress of that deorbit burn. It'll be the crew operations and resource engineer, the core, that's the voice from here in Mission Control in Hawthorne that relays the burn performance status up to the crew via dragging the ground. On your screen there is SpaceX core for this, uh, this operational shift on console tonight is Jake Vendel. As Gary mentioned, this is the primary communicator for, uh, from SpaceX Mission Control to the crew. Very similar to NASA's CAPCOM, uh, excuse me, CAPCOM role. Dragon, SpaceX, deorbit burn complete and nominal, nose cone closure initiated. SpaceX Dragon Conference. 
All right, good news there coming from SpaceX core, Jake Fendel letting us know that the deorbit burn completed and everything went nominal or as expected. So that's all really good news. Very good, we are in the deorbit sequence now. So that, you just heard the nose cone is about to close and I can see it's actually closing now. In the background, the Dragon is currently inhibiting those forward bulkhead Draco thrusters that we just used to complete the deorbit burn, ensuring it's safe to latch the nose cone and shut for re-entry. Also, the vehicle has initiated the Nitrox suit Purge. So this will help Steve, Woody, Sultan, and Andre cool and comfortable during re-entry, which is coming up here in about uh, 20 minutes. Uh, at this point, the nose cone is closing again and protecting the forward hatch for re-entry. Steve, Woody, Sultan, and Andre are using their screens to monitor the locking of the nose cone, which is done by a set of hooks. So we're about two minutes until the nose cone is completely closed and locked in. Once again, we are in the deorbit sequence. So far, we have uh, separated the trunk and we have completed the deorbit burn. And right now, we are closing the nose cone. This is the final physical change or um, uh, modification to the Dragon capsule uh, prior to reentry. After the nose cone is closed, we will slew or reorient Dragon to um, basically make sure that the heat shield is what is pointing um, first toward planet Earth, and that will line us up for atmospheric reentry. And a lot of that is work is in work now in concurrence. Uh, the closing of the nose cone cone is underway as well as the slewing. Again, there's a there's plenty of margin here from the time that the deorbit burn is complete, that 16-minute burn and the time of entry interface. Make sure there's, if any, you know, if they have time to correct anything, that is already built in, but everything's looking good so far. Uh, making sure the heat shields are pointed the right way, nose cone is closed, and the crew is is prepped uh, with that nitrogen purge. So we meant we saw the, the views of the crew from the inside of the capsule with their visors up. Again, those visors will come down, um, and they'll, uh, it, it part of the, not only do the suits actually provide that extra protection, but Kate, you mentioned that they'll actually make sure that they provide cooling and comfort because there's a lot of heat that's being generated through the re-entry process. Uh, it can, the outside of the vehicle can experience upwards of 3,500 uh, 3, degrees Fahrenheit. Exactly. Yeah, we'll purge some cool air through the suits. Um, but the interior of the, of the capsule, um, there's also a thermal system that will help pump some cool air there as well. Uh, so the crew generally stays really comfortable, um, even though the exterior of the capsule does get super hot, as you said. Um, with that plasma buildup, uh, it'll be um, certainly one of the more dynamic things that the spacecraft goes through uh, during its mission. But yeah, the crew stays pretty comfortable and that nitrox air, which is a mixture of nitrogen and oxygen, uh, you know, the same stuff that is put into scuba tanks for scuba divers, that same breathing air, uh, we pump that through the suits to allow the crew to stay super comfy during their re-entry. We did get confirmation that the nose cone is closed. So this deorbit sequence is, or we're really uh, making our way through very well. As we begin the second half of entry, Dragon is now beginning to inject that cool nitrox air that I mentioned before um, that's being delivered to the suits worn by Stephen, Woody, Sultan, and Andre. Again, this is what will allow the crew to remain comfortable while the external temperatures of Dragon reach 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit. The heat shield will be pointing forward, leading the capsule to the landing site. Now, speaking of that heat shield, 
Dragon's primary heat shield is comprised of PICA 3.0. PICA meaning phenolic impregnated carbon ablator. Uh, the first generation PICA was initially developed by NASA for studying and sampling comets within our solar system. Yeah, really cool history here. SpaceX partnered with NASA to develop PICA-X, which was the second generation product used on all Dragon 1 cargo resupply missions that successfully resupplied the space station on 20 different missions. PICA 3.0 was developed specifically for use on the Dragon 2 crew and cargo with enhanced structural and thermal properties that optimized the heat shield and drove down costs and mass. Yeah, pretty cool. The remainder of Dragon capsule is comprised primarily of SpaceX proprietary abla ablative material. It's another class of thermal protection, which is lighter weight versus Pika and protects the underlying composite structure during re-entry to basically ensure that the structural capabilities are maintained from mission to mission. And while Dragon will experience temperatures well over 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit, Kate, you mentioned 3,500 degrees, during peak re-entry conditions, the characteristics of the TPS, the thermal protection system, coupled with the ECLIS, environmental control and life support system in the pressurized interior, will ensure that Steve, Woody, Sultan, and Andre stay cool and comfortable during all phases of re-entry through Splashdown. After Dragon Endeavor has re-entered the Earth's atmosphere, a series of parachutes will deploy to slow the crew's descent. As we mentioned before, excuse me, as we mentioned before, the first set will be the two drogue parachutes, followed by the four main chutes, and that, those will guide Dragon to its first contact with Earth since launching in April earlier this year. Dragon will automatically deploy these parachutes when different pressure and positioning sensors on the capsule detect that they are at the right speed and altitude. Vehicle velocity at Drogue deploys approximately 300 miles per hour. They deploy at about 18,000 feet. Then vehicle velocity at main parachute deploy is approximately 119 miles an hour. They deploy at about 6,500 feet. Vehicle velocity at water splashdown is about 16 miles an hour. Highest G load the crew will experience during re-entry is approximately three and a half Gs. So again, the nose cone is closed. Those nose cones are, are secured by a series of latches. The first uh, set of hooks is uh, closed, and the second set of hooks is traveling to secure the nose cone. Um, again, that is closed, and the uh, vehicle is slewing or orienting itself uh, with the uh, deorbit position, with the entry interface position, to allow the heat shield to meet up with the atmosphere. And those Pika tiles that were designed to take those loads of the heat uh, will be pointing the right direction. One correction, I did mention Crew 6 launched in April. It actually launched in March of this year. Right. March 2nd, Eastern Time. I think March 1st, Pacific Time. It's 8.47 p.m. Pacific time now. We're about 30 minutes from the expected splashdown time. Again, we're tracking 12.17 a.m. Uh, Eastern time over in Florida near Jacksonville, which is our primary landing site here at the Pacific Coast, 9.17 p.m. Dragon, SpaceX, nose cone secured for entry. So again, two sets of latches that secure that nose cone. Those have traveled and confirmed that not only is the nose cone closed, but it is secured for re-entry. 
And with that, Dragon, I've got a entry sequence brief report ready to copy. All right, Steve, we see blackout start at 0404, blackout end at 0411, and splashdown at 0417. No update to vehicle status, weather still looks good. How copy? Zero four zero four zero four one one and zero four one seven. Weather still looks good, and uh, I think that copies it all. Thank you. Good read back. One more note, uh, we noticed prior to the burn, a few of the tablets were not secure to the satchels. I'm hoping that you can positively verify that each tablet is indeed secure. We're working on that right now. We'll get it by 150. Copy. All right, that was SpaceX Corps Jake Vendel letting uh, Commander Steve Bowen know our updated timeline for that expected loss of signal. Uh, we, we heard them read out 0404 to 0411, those times being, uh, you know, the space standard, the GMT time zone. Um, so for us, we would expect that to be at uh, 9.04 p.m. Pacific, 12.04 uh, p.m. Eastern, and uh, lasting until the 11-minute mark there. So. Um, just slightly, uh, actually, no, right on time, we did say about a six or seven minute loss right. of signal. Splashdown time remains uh, as we originally were targeting that 9.17 p.m. Pacific, 12.17 a.m. Eastern. And you can just see just how quick and uh, quick in succession everything is. From, from 9.04 to 9.11, we go from 17,000 miles an hour to 350 miles an hour. And then through the, through the drogue parachute deployment and main parachute deployment over the course of six minutes, we get down to 15 miles an hour at the time of splashdown. Yeah, and during that time, um, the crew will experience about three to five Gs uh, during this reentry phase. So pretty similar to what they would have felt uh, during the launch phase of the mission. We're focusing on the flight control teams here in Mission Control in Hawthorne through the duration of today's operations. If you've been following along for our coverage, we've been uh, joined with the flight control teams over in Houston, Texas. Of course, they are monitoring very closely, uh, but that was really for joint operations. Uh, it's a different set of flight criteria and flight rules when the two uh, flight control rooms are working in tandem, operating by the same flight criteria. And there is that dance of the Dragon and the International Space Station. Really, the responsibility of the Dragon uh, for, is on the uh, teams here in SpaceX. They are, of course, uh, communicating constantly with the teams over at NASA. And the NASA teams are in the loop monitoring the progression of the Crew-6 astronauts and cosmonauts return home to Earth.
So we've mentioned before that our anticipated loss of signal um, is coming up at 9.04 p.m. and will last about seven minutes until 9.11 p.m. Pacific time. Um, this occurs on all of our Dragon re-entry missions. Um, it is pretty standard and expected, um, the seven-minute period where the Dragon is unable to send any telemetry to the ground or be commanded from the ground, uh, including no communications, which is why we call it a communications blackout. So the reason for that being, as we've said a couple of times, the heat shield located at the bottom of the capsule um, will be doing a ton of work as it encounters that friction from the atmosphere as it re-enters. This is a good thing. It's helping to slow the vehicle down from 17,000 miles per hour to about 350 miles per hour. Now, as a result of all that work being done by the heat shield and the friction, this plasma forms on the exterior of the capsule, and that's why we have these thermal protection systems, or TPS, um, all around Dragon to help protect it during these phases where um, that plasma builds up and gets really hot. Uh, it'll reach about 3,500 degrees or thereabout uh, during this reentry phase. So pretty standard. Um, that being said, it does make for a great view. If you live in central Florida, you will definitely be able to see dragons streaking across the night sky. Uh, really, if you look up, you won't be able to miss it. <laughs> Now, of course, once Dragon splashes down, and we did get that read very recently up to the crew that we're right on target for that 9.17 p.m. Pacific, 12.17 a.m. Eastern Time splashdown off the coast of Jacksonville, uh, the recovery teams are already staged. Uh, we got word that uh, the recovery vessel named Megan is out there. That'll be the one that actually lifts the Dragon capsule up from uh, the water. There's also fast boats and jet skis and a whole teams really re ready to go uh, to support the recovery operation. Uh, we've supported many nighttime landings or splashdowns in the past, and so they're very used to these operations. Dragon has systems built into the outside of the capsule that allow for flashing lights and a lot of uh, calling of attention to itself to make sure that the recovery teams can easily see it. Uh, and of course, the assets themselves have uh, equipment on board to be able to locate, track, and find, and of course, recover the uh, Dragon capsule. Yeah. And so those teams will go out. They'll perform a sniff. That's actually the first thing that'll happen is the fast boats will circle the vehicle and just make sure that the Dragon uh, capsule itself is safe to approach. There's dedicated teams that go out and make sure there's no leaking of nitrogen tetroxide or any uh, hazardous materials before the rest of the teams move in. Uh, there's a lot of team members that are out there now to support the operation. Yeah. This evening for this uh, Atlantic Coast recovery, we are utilizing our recovery vessel, Megan, um, and those teams are stationed about three miles away from the targeted splashdown site. So um, it's one of my favorite but frustrating parts of splashdown <laughs> is after we see the capsule actually land in the water and we see the parachutes um, be released and, and splashdown as well, we then have to wait for, for the recovery vessel to trudge those three miles. Um, and in that time, we're able to see the fast boats um, approach the the capsule, as the name suggests, much faster. They are slower than than um, than Megan, the, the primary recovery vessel. So they can get out there much, much quicker and perform, as you said, um, that sniff test as well as recover the parachutes from the water. 
Yeah, we've seen lots of improvements just because, you know, we're talking about Crew-6 right now. So this is this is not just a six mission. We've also done this with the demonstration mission with Bob and Doug, Demo-2. Uh, demo and so this will really be the seventh time that we've done it for a crew operation. And so they become, the recovery teams have become much more efficient and have lessons learned along the way. So the recovery operations we've seen just get a lot faster overall. Absolutely. Yeah, we've done nighttime splashdown um, operations for Crew-1, Crew 2, Crew 3, Crew 5, as well as Axiom 2 mm -hmm. um, just right. a couple months ago. So, yeah, the recovery teams um, at this point have actually had more nighttime splashdowns than they have daytime. I should say for crew missions. That's um, right. For, or not for NASA crew, but for crew de missions, not for, I'm not counting the cargo missions. Right. And it is, a, uh, it is a good nod to make sure that we mention the private missions as well. We mentioned the Axiom Mission 1 mm -hmm. and 2, of course, Inspiration 4. Uh, so there's a lot of practice with the recovery operations in these teams. Of course, we have the views here of the flight operations teams here in Hawthorne that are monitoring the Dragon's re-entry. Again, we've performed, successfully performed a deorbit burn, so we're just waiting for that entry interface that's coming up at 9.04, so uh, really just seven minutes from now. Uh, and that is the uh, beginning of the blackout period. That's when the Dragon capsule starts to experience uh, the, the molecules of the atmosphere are a lot closer, so that it experiences much more friction, and we start to see that plasma buildup, and it shaves. It, it provides a significant amount of drag and shaves a lot of uh, velocity off of the Dragon capsule right now, traveling about 17,000 miles an hour, and through the seven-minute period of blackout, where there is that plasma buildup, where we are traveling through uh, the more denser uh, period uh, parts of the atmosphere, and and slowing down significantly, we'll get on the back end of that. 9-11, they said, was the uh, exit of that blackout uh, period where we stopped getting communications from the crew and we're on the back end of the entry interface. Uh, that will be, um, uh, we'll get down to 350 miles an hour. Yeah, if memory serves me correctly, uh, we typically hear SpaceX core start reaching out to the crew about one minute early. There have been some instances where we've been able to regain communications with the crew a little bit earlier than originally anticipated. So probably around the 9, 10 p.m. Uh, minute mark Pacific, I should say, uh, we might start hearing SpaceX core uh, hail the crew six. And it could go in the other direction too. This is of course an estimate based on sure. the, based on the uh, predicted plasma buildup and the predicted comms blackout but of course there could be another minute or so before they regain comms and that's all built into the timeline they'll we'll hear those checks go up on dragon to ground and they'll continuously call the crew SpaceX dragon comes to secure tracer titan visors are down copy dragon tablet secure restraints tightened and visors down with that, we are five minutes until the predicted calm blackout. Dragon Endeavor, see you on the other side at 0411. 0411, we'll talk to you then. All right, that was the voice of Crew 6 Commander Steve Bowen uh, letting us know that the uh, teams have put away and secured the tablets that were. Um, Prior to now, they were located and strapped onto their um, their legs outside of the spacesuit. So those are now put away, um, and they have also closed the visors. So the last time we saw the crew uh, inside the capsule, their visors were up. They've now closed the visors, and that provides um, really a leak-tight environment for the crew um, during this dynamic phase of reentry.
For those of you that have recently joined over the last 45 minutes, we've uh, basically been executing step by step the deorbit sequence, starting with the um, the uh, releasing of the claw, which is what uh, was connecting the dragon capsule to the trunk, the trunk being the unpressurized section that um, is jettisoned in order to reveal the, the heat shield located at the bottom of the dragon spacecraft. So we released the claw that the trunk separated. We then performed a 16 minute long deorbit burn. Um, we've also slewed or reoriented the capsule so that the heat shield is facing um, it's hard to describe it in my head, but it basically the heat shield is what is uh, leading the capsule to the targeted splashdown site, uh, which today is in the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Jacksonville, Florida. Um, as we just heard, we have an anticipated loss of signal or LOS um, that will last for seven minutes and it will start um, at 9.04 p.m. Pacific uh, and about three minutes from now. Um, that is standard for all of our uh, Dragon, Crew Dragon reentry missions. Um, and at that point in time, the Dragon will not be able to send any telemetry or data to the ground. The ground will not be able to command Dragon at all. And we will not be able to receive any communications from the crew um, or, or, or to them either. Now on the back end of the communications blackout, when we receive a word from the crew, it'll be the uh, crew themselves that read out some of the calls of their status and would be relying on them. And of course, the data that we're receiving from Dragon now that we're outside of that blackout uh, to determine the performance of the vehicle. We'll see those drogues. There's four main parachutes uh, that allow for a safe landing. The parachutes are designed with that fourth in mind so that even if the fourth were not to inflate all the way, three could actually provide enough um, enough resistance to uh, properly decelerate the dragon so that it, it lands right on time and provides the a normal amount of uh, of drag on the vehicle to get us down to that 15 miles an hour at the expected time. The views we're seeing now are of course of the flight operations team here in Mission Control in Hawthorne. Once we uh, once we uh, will soon hopefully be getting some views from the recovery vessels out in the Atlantic Ocean. That's um, the recovery vessel Megan as well as the recovery teams on fast boats and jet skis. We should be getting views, hopefully, from the Atlantic Ocean to see um, some uh, the Crew-6's uh, entry through the atmosphere. I was trying to look through my notes. I can't quite remember what it is off the top of my head, um, but you were talking about the parachutes before mm -hmm. um, and the drogue chutes that we deploy prior to the main parachutes. Um, those drogue chutes help provide um, additional slowing and uh, stability for the Dragon capsule um, as it uh, comes out of that atmospheric reentry. And I forget what factor it is that if we didn't have the drogue parachutes, I think it's something like the main parachutes would have to be uh, manufactured to be two to three times stronger, which of course would oh, wow. add weight to the capsule um, itself. And in spaceflight, everything is weight. Um, you want to minimize the weight that you're taking. So those drogue chutes um, are definitely small but mighty in the um, in the in the job <laughs> that they have to do. Now we're under a minute away from that, um, or just a couple seconds rather, away from that anticipated loss of signal or LOS. 
This will be a seven-minute period in which we were unable to communicate uh, with the crew, and we were we are unable to command Dragon or receive telemetry or data from it. Okay, we're in that loss of signal. The clock starts now, right on time, 9.04 p.m. Pacific, 12.04 a.m. Eastern. That starts the seven-minute clock of the anticipated communications blackout. Kate, as you mentioned, the teams here in Mission Control in Hawthorne may start uh, reaching out to the crew a little early. The crew themselves may see an acquisition of signal from their own data and call out to the teams to let them know that they're outside of the blackout. It could be intermittent, too, so there's a lot of different factors, but the key here is communication and they'll continue to uh, talk uh, to make sure that uh, they are relaying the, the they meaning the crew are relaying the information to the teams here in Michigan to Hawthorne and of course the Hawthorne will be able to respond right so for those of you that have just recently joined us at this point we have entered a communications blackout period a loss of signal or LOS and lasts approximately seven minutes due to plasma formation around the spacecraft. During this time, no vehicle telemetry is received by mission control, which you see there on your screen, um, and no external commanding of the vehicle or voice communication is possible. But as a reminder, Dragon is designed to fly itself. During this reentry, the vehicle will be slowing down from orbital velocity, which is about 17,000 miles per hour, um, and the top temperature that Dragon will experience upon reentry is about 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit. As we've mentioned before, this expected blackout period is, um, and uh, we anticipate it to last about seven minutes. I might, might, might be a little bit less, it might be a little bit more, um, but we will definitely be able to um, hear the crew um, once they do re-enter from that anticipated loss of signal, we'll have acquisition of signal, which is AOS. That's right, and the last read up to the crew prior to um, their entry and the beginning of the blackout period, uh, we were still tracking an on-time splashdown. Again, for those following along, that's 12.17 a.m. Eastern Time, 9.17 p.m. Pacific Time. We are now within the atmospheric entry phase of the um, return for the Crew-6 crew. Once again, the plasma buildup on the exterior of the capsule results in um, our inability to command or communicate with the Dragon capsule during this time. This happens with all of our uh, crew missions and we expect this to uh, end at about 9.11 p.m. Pacific or 12.11 a.m. Eastern. Live view there of SpaceX Mission Control located just behind Gary and myself. They are continuing to uh, monitor the length of the acquisition of, excuse me, the length of this um, uh, blackout period. And we will be able to hear uh, SpaceX Core, who for this evening shift is Jake Vendel. Um, we'll probably start to hear him hail the crew um, around 9-11 or 9-10 p.m. Pacific. 
So if you're following along of our coverage and you are in southern Mexico or the Yucatan Peninsula, there is a chance, depending on the weather that you have down there, that you would have been able to see the beginning of the entry interface. We're now about four minutes in uh, of a seven-minute blackout period. This is a great graphic indicating the trajectory. Um, this is an ascending trajectory that Dragon is taking. So as Gary just said, over the Gulf of Mexico, across the Yucatan of uh, Peninsula of Mexico. Um, so if you're tuning in from Central Florida, head outside right now, <laughs> look up, um, because uh, if, oh, and look, this looks like our first live view from the WB-57. That's right. This is a high altitude aircraft that has thermal imaging. So we're able to get some of those views of the Dragon vehicle in the middle of its entry interface. Again, we're about four minutes in. We have a tally-ho on the vehicle from the WB-57. And actually, maybe about five minutes in at this point. So maybe a little bit more than two minutes. Again, there's some, there's some variation in the predicted seven-minute time period. It's not exact. We might hear a little early, a little later. So as we were saying, if you're in Central Florida, head outside right now. You should be able to see this glowing streak uh, cross over as we are targeting. Uh, there's that streak I was just mentioning. That's a live view, not thermal. Um, this is heading towards the Atlantic coast of uh, near Jacksonville, Florida. So a beautiful view, very um, such a striking uh, visual that we have for these nighttime splashdowns recovery teams are in position off the coast of Jacksonville, Florida. And we are still targeting our expected splashdown time of 9.17 p.m. Pacific, 12.17 a.m. Eastern. We only have about a minute and some change of this blackout period anticipated. And again, there's some variation on when we can hear from the crew. So what you're seeing on your... Dragon, SpaceX, ComCheck. So at this point, we're going to hear SpaceX core begin to hail. As Gary said, um, this blackout period is estimated. So we're now beginning to reach out to the crew to see if we've regained that communications capability. What you're Dragon, SpaceX, com check. What you're seeing on your screen now is a live view of a, the thermal cam on the WB-57. And we hear Crew 6 from inside the cabin on the back end of the blackout. Copy, Dragon. We see a healthy flight computer. Expect automated shoot deployment. There's our live view of the crew, our first view of them on the other side of that communications blackout. At this point in time, uh, they are re-entering through the Earth's atmosphere over the coast of Florida, heading towards uh, Jacksonville uh, Atlantic coast. Up next will be the deployment of the drogue parachutes, which should happen in about two minutes, just over two minutes. You can see they got through some of the thicker parts of the atmosphere and that plasma buildup is starting to dissipate. We have about, yeah, less than two minutes or so. Dragon, SpaceX, GPS converged. Expect nominal altitude for drogue chute deploy. All right, so that call out, just letting the crew know that uh, they can expect to have the initial uh, parachute deployment. That is um, the drogue parachutes. And that those typically deploy about uh, 18,000 feet. 
At that point in time, the capsule is going around 350 miles per hour. Some of the data and telemetry from Dragon is in meters, so if you do hear those calls from the crew and from us, some of the telemetry we're seeing is in the metric system. Confirmation that seat rotation is in progress. This allows the crew to be in the proper position to take the loads of the chutes as they experience the G-forces that the chutes uh, exhibit upon deployment. They provide some drag on the vehicle. And again, we're traveling about 350 miles an hour. So from here, with the drogue deployments and main deployment, we're going to get down to about 15 miles an hour. Drogue deployment coming up in approximately Dragon. 20 seconds. Brace for drogue window. And we're roughly 30 seconds away from that drogue deployment. SpaceX core just telling the crew to prepare for the deployment of those drogue parachutes. At this point in time, um, they are around, or when the drogues are d deployed, they're traveling around 350 miles per hour. At the time that the main parachutes are deployed, um, just uh, seconds later, they'll be going around 120 miles per hour. So these drogue parachutes help provide an, uh, further deceleration as well as stability for the capsule um, prior to those main parachute deployments. Drogue pyros have fired and we have good confirmation of drogue chutes, two drogues. The view from inside the uh, parachute bucket. Dragon nominal descent rate and recovery team reports a visual on two healthy drugs. Should see drogue shoot jettison here momentarily. We'll see those two shoots that you see be released from the capsule, just like so, and release the four parachutes, now deploying. At this point in time, Dragon has saved all of its propulsion systems and is now uh, has already terminated that nitrox suit and cabin purges. Those were helping to keep the crew cool during reentry. Looks like we have four very beautiful and healthy main parachutes. Dragon, we see a nominal descent rate on four healthy mains. SpaceX Dragon copies and SpaceX Dragon count up on 1,000. So there's that confirmation. Copy 1,000 meters. Confirmation of those four healthy chute deployments. Now standing by for splashdown. At the point of splashdown, the capsule will be going about 15 or 16 miles per hour. Continuing to decelerate from a, a rate of, uh, from a speed of about uh, 120 miles per hour. 800. So we will now begin. Copy 800. To hear Commander Steve Bowen call out the altitude um, as they approach the water surface. That is again in meters. 
landing in water is simpler and provides more margin against unlikely parachute issues. Uh, we had to learn how to make Dragon waterproof, but once you do that, it's very much a rinse, review, reuse type process. 600. Copy, 600. 600 meters, and the descent rate is as predicted, meaning we're targeting that splashdown time in about a minute. Live view of Dragon uh, Endeavor with the Crew 6 uh, team members on board being held up by four beautiful main parachutes. Dragon, we see 400. We're now about 400 meters above the ocean surface. Dragon 200 brace for splashdown. Copy braced for splashdown. Again, the seats have been rotated in the position to take the loads of uh, re-entry and parachute deployment as well as splashdown. The crew is braced. We are inside 100 meters. Dragon Endeavor continuing its slow descent. There we can see splashdown on screen. Those parachutes are then cut and released. Dragon Endeavor has now returned home. NASA astronauts Steve Bowen, Woody Hoberg, Sultan Alnayadi, and Andre Fedyayev. Dragon Splashdown, you're in water Copy splashdown, and we see main shoots cut. After a 17-hour 17, 17 return journey from space, Crew 6 is home. So the teams have been ready and waiting uh, about three nautical miles away, so it's going to take them about 30 minutes to make their way to Steve Woody Sultan and Andre inside the Dragon. You see the recovery forces uh, in some of the views that you're seeing. Of course, these views being provided by the recovery um, vessels. You saw there was a helo deployed, um, providing some visuals uh, and lighting for the Dragon capsule. Stable one. Copy, Stable One. Dragon Endeavor, on behalf of NASA and SpaceX, welcome back home. Thank you for flying SpaceX. Thanks, SpaceX Endeavor. Uh, we greatly appreciate all the support from all the initial training through the launch, throughout the mission, uh, keeping us abreast of all the status of the vehicle and all the support all the way down. This has been incredible, greatly appreciated, and look forward to working with you all again. Copy all, and you've got a room full of happy people here. We've got some systems to verify safe before we give the boats a go to approach. I'll be back uh, with you on that topic in a minute. Hey, SpaceX Dragon copies. We'll just uh, enjoy the wallowing here. It's, uh, <laughs> might be soothing, but maybe I'll be mapping soon.
So there we just heard uh, SpaceX core just indicating to the crew that uh, we're going to do some checks here, uh, here from Mission Control Hawthorne. We're going to do some system checks to make sure that everything is safe to, um, as necessary on the Dragon Endeavor capsule. Um, they will then give the go for safe approach to the teams there that you see on your screen in the fast boats. Uh, one, one of those boats will focus on recovering the parachutes from the water. Um, the other will begin um, inspections, a sniff test for those um, onboard propellants, nitrogen tetroxide and monomethyl hydrazine. Um, they are toxic if um, if someone were to breed them. So mm -hmm. we definitely want to ensure the safety of the entire recovery team as well as the crew. So um, one of the teams in the fast boats will perform a sniff test using devices while wearing uh, personal protective equipment to ensure that none of those uh, propellants have uh, leaked out and that there's no vapors lingering from, um, you know, just <laughs> many minutes ago when those thrusters were actually firing back in space. Precisely. Now this is the fourth splashdown of Dragon Endeavor and completes the fourth mission, Crew 6, splashing down right on time, 12.17 a.m. Eastern Time, 9.17 p.m. Pacific Time. We're getting views from the recovery vessels that are out um, many nautical miles away from the coast of Jacksonville, Florida, and the crew and teams here in Hawthorne reported a stable one position that just notifies that the crew, that the capsule is in the ideal position floating in the Atlantic Ocean there, upright with the heat shield uh, in the water and the nose cone pointed towards the sky, as you see there. As you mentioned, this is the fourth splashdown for this particular capsule. Um, most recently, it, it supported Axiom 1, prior to that, Crew 2, and prior to that, Demo 2. So this capsule, um, I have great personal attachment to. Um, I had the um, opportunity as part of my day job to go inside the capsule while we were um, building it. Um, and when I say building it, I mean like for the first time, not during the refurbishment process. And when we were originally building it for the Demo 2 mission, um, it, I just remember being inside this capsule and thinking, Dragon, SpaceX, we are go for recovery personnel to approach the capsule. Expect fast boats alongside in just a few minutes. Dragon top, look from light. All right, good news there from Mission Control, uh, letting the crew know that everything checked out from a systems check, and the um, the team there on screen in the fast boat now has the green light to be approach and begin uh, performing these sniff checks for those uh, those vapors for the onboard propellants. Just to conclude my thought, it's always great to see this capsule fly <laughs> and land, and it just makes me so um, happy to see it. Uh, with another mission under its belt. It's part of the design of the Dragon capsule is to be reusable. So uh, even after the harsh conditions of 3,500 degrees of plasma buildup and being in the salty ocean, teams are still able to refurbish it and prepare it for the next mission. And this is the fourth successful flight of Endeavor.
So after those Hypergall checks, uh, Dragon teams, well, actually, we may see some of the team members crawling on the outside of Dragon and begin the rigging process as the recovery vessel uh, Megan has the equipment necessary to bring the Dragon out of the water into what's called the Dragon's Nest. Uh, and that allows the capsule to be positioned and stable on a boat and allow the uh, some of the personnel on board that boat, uh, that ship, to uh, open up the side hatch. We were talking about the side hatch a little earlier that has remained closed through the duration of the mission. The last time it was open was on launch pad 39A as some of the teams were preparing uh, Steve, Woody, Sultan, and Andre for their launch to the International Space Station and the beginning of their expedition of science, maintenance, and upgrades aboard. Now it'll be open again here very shortly. It does take some time, so it could be 30 minutes to an hour uh, before we actually see them on the boat and they start egressing the capsule, but we'll provide coverage until they're safely aboard uh, the recovery vessel Megan and all four crew members have egressed Dragon. So this image that we see here was taken just minutes ago, a beautiful capture of the moment when Crew 6 was re-entering over um, Florida. We can actually see NASA's VAB and Pad 39A in the distance. So this is such a cool uh, time-lapse capture of the re-entry streak that we saw just minutes ago of the Crew 6 re-entry and splashdown. Now, of course, we have recovery teams out there that are executing these operations. We can actually see some of the personnel there. We do have a public affairs officer on recovery vessel Megan, Courtney Beasley, who is standing by and watching the operations unfold and providing some coverage from there. I'll do a comms check with uh, Courtney Beasley, who's there uh, via satellite phone. Courtney, can you hear us? Gary, I have you loud and clear. How do you hear me? Loud and clear. Um, Courtney, we were very jealous and we were talking a lot, Kate and I, about the uh, views uh, of Dragon's re-entry through the atmosphere and the plasma trail and the landing, uh, of course, in the Atlantic Ocean. I can't imagine a person who had a better view than you. Um, from your perspective on Recovery Vessel Megan, how was uh, that landing? Gary, it was absolutely beautiful. We were about one and a half nautical miles away from the landing zone, and we had a great view from the front of the ship. We were actually able to track the spacecraft. Starting when it broke the horizon, we heard the sonic boom loud and clear and tracked the spacecraft all the way down through splashdown. There's something beautiful about a nighttime splashdown. The only thing lighting the sky up tonight was the moon, the and stars, and returning until back capsule home lift. Stand by for a PMC you know, thing we with were... the SpaceX flight surgeon on the ship. And we did just hear a call out indicating that the sniff checks were successful, so um, the close approach team um, now has the green light to begin uh, climbing on board the Dragon capsule, so we should see the recovery continue along. But uh, I want to hear more from Courtney with her bird's eye, or with her live action view. That's right, yeah, yeah, back to you, Courtney. We just wanted to pause for some of those communications with the crew and just follow along in the action here, but really want to understand what it's like there. You got some beautiful views. Uh, we are seeing, you know, some of the seas. I think that we're tracking about, uh, um, we're, we're tracking sea states and, and wind, and we were, we were talking about weather quite a bit leading up to today's landing. From your perspective, how is the weather out there? 
Yeah, Gary, it's about 80 degrees out here right now with fairly clear skies. Like I said, we were able to track that spacecraft pretty good tonight. About nine mile an hour winds out of the east. The waves are considered to be rolling waves, so they're not choppy, but they are pretty big and more spread out rolling waves. But weather-wise, I think the crew will like what they feel when they get out of that capsule today and take their first breath of fresh air back here on Earth. You know, just to get some appreciation of what it took to stage the recovery forces and be prepared for this moment, just really moments after Dragon splashed down, we saw some of those fast boats rolling out uh, to make sure that they were uh, getting the crew as quickly as possible. Can you give us a sense of what it's taken to make sure the recovery vessels were here at this moment? Yeah, absolutely. Our journey actually started several hours ago in Jacksonville, the Met Office teams and the recovery director boarded the first helicopter and they were the first group to arrive on the ship about four and a half hours before splashdown. So those medical teams took the time to get everything situated on the ship and ready to tend to the crew. And about two hours before splashdown, they deployed the fast boats into the water. I was actually on the second helicopter out and we landed on the helicopter pad on top of the vessel about an hour before splashdown. And all of the teams have been hard at work since we touched down on the boat to get their various disciplines ready for crew six to arrive home. Excellent, Courtney. And last question before we let you go is we're seeing some of the recovery personnel on the Dragon capsule preparing uh, for its eventual lift onto uh, recovery vessel Megan. What can we expect to see in the next few moments? So once the crew is um, out Copy. of we also the have capsule, you five by five. they'll be transferred over to the and bay up the where the crew will I'll get, get back them to you, uh, outside their medical lift. teams and we'll have the opportunity to take those space, space suits off and get comfortable back here on Earth. And then, of course, they'll run through those medical checks. They'll get um, back on the helicopter and head back to the airport where they'll board their planes back to Houston to begin their post-flight period. You're probably getting a better view than I am right now. So I'll let you walk through that. But back here on the ship, once the crew is off, um, they're not the only ones returning from space today. We'll actually stay here a little longer with the cargo team since there was International Space Station cargo returned on this flight. So once we get back to the airport, the cargo team will begin doing cargo processing, taking photos of all of the articles that were included in the cargo, and they will pack all of that into box trucks that will take them back to various NASA centers. But Gary, an overall beautiful splashdown tonight, and I hope it was the same for you back in Hawthorne. Absolutely, Courtney. We've been getting some fantastic views. Thank you so much for that report. That was Courtney Beasley out on the recovery ship uh, providing live coverage from the landing site just off the coast of Jacksonville. We're back in the action now seeing some of the views from the uh, recovery vessel and the recovery operations team, including helicopters, fast boats, jet skis, and of course, we're getting views from some of the ships that are standing by waiting to actually pull Dragon out of the water. So at this point in time, the Dragon capsule has saved all of its systems. Um, Mission Control did a uh, systems check to make sure that that was uh, true and accurate. They gave the fast approach teams the, uh, the green light to approach and begin the rigging process, which is what we are now seeing underway. Um, additionally, they have recovered the parachutes from the water. Um, so those were, uh, we were able to see those being um, dragged onto a boat. And what we have now is there's one individual uh, that we see kind of like a, a spider monkey crawling all around the capsule and attaching uh, the